Hello everyone. Do you like reading? Do you like walking? Do you like thinking about your life? Then we have got something for you. Our Common Ground Pilgrimages are going to be announcing our slate of fall and winter 2020 pilgrimages on March 2nd. So if you sign up for our newsletter at readingandwalkingwith.com, you will be the first to know when registration launches and only people on our newsletter will get 30 minutes early registration access and it's first come first serve. So signing up first might mean the difference between getting a spot or not. There's less than 20 spots on each pilgrimage and one of them might be involving me and a book that we all love. So you're talking about you leading a pilgrimage with he's just not that into you? A hundred percent, yeah. <laughs> oh my God, I'm there. So that's readingandwalkingwith.com. Sign up to the newsletter. Be the first to know about our pilgrimages this year. Chapter 14. Norbert, the Norwegian Ridgeback. Quirrell, however, must have been braver than they'd thought. In the weeks that followed, he did seem to be getting paler and thinner, but it didn't look as though he'd cracked yet. Every time they passed the third-floor corridor, Harry, Ron, and Hermione. I'm Casper Turkile. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And you're listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. I went to a very posh English school in secondary school, and every morning there was a daily bulletin that would arrive in our house meetings, and it would tell you if there were changes for lunch times or if there were special activities that were on option. And there was a tradition that on the final day of class, the leaving class would create a fake bulletin. And this fake bulletin was always used with bad humor, offensive humor, like each of the lunch spots was filled by just the name of a particularly heavy set German teacher. Um, and so there was, you know, this tradition of these bulletins. But I was very unhappy in my last year of high school. And I would channel that and write my own fake bulletin. You know, if there was a homophobic biology teacher, or if I felt that the amount of money being spent on the headmistress's office renewal was absurd, uh, I basically poured all of that into this fake bulletin of my own. And I was so angry with the school and with some of the teachers that on the last day of school, I printed off about 100 copies of my own fake bulletin and distributed it around the school. Very quickly, of course, people found out that it was me uh, and I was called to the deputy headmistress's office and I was told I wasn't allowed to be on campus. I wasn't allowed to go to the final prom, what we called Leavers Ball. And of course, to be honest, my rebellion didn't really change anything in the school. But it did really change me. You know, I learned so much about what works and what doesn't work when challenging authority. Um, and I learned just about myself, you know, what I'm capable of and what frightens me. And I really saw those same themes of rebellion and learning what happens when you rebel in the chapter that we're reading today. Hagrid's dragon egg and the raising of the little dragon baby Norbert is an obvious example. But this theme of rebellion is, is kind of sprinkled all through this chapter. I think that that's exactly right. This is a chapter that doesn't move the plot hugely forward, except that we're seeing this mini rebellion and the way that it impacts the characters and the way that it clarifies certain relationships. So I think rebellion, even failed rebellions, matter. Before we get into talking more about rebellion, though, Casper, it's time for the 30-second recap. And right now, I just checked this morning, we have more votes in than ever, and we are exactly tied. (laughs) Well, it's good. It's good. I am not losing. (laughs) So well done, friend. The fact that you are voting for yourself 700 times a day is really paying off. 
All right, you got the timer ready? I do. On your mark, get set, go. So in this chapter, uh, everything seems well, except that suddenly Hagrid has this weird thing. He finds a dragon egg somehow. Someone gives it to him in the pub and um, he starts hatching it. He puts it in the fire. It grows and out comes an umbrella-like little dragon baby. Um, Harry and the gang come to visit. Draco sees it. um, So they freak out. They try to get rid of it. Charlie Weasley is going to pick it up. Well, his friends are going to come pick it up. Um, Oh, my God. It gets bigger and bigger and and it eats chickens and bourbon. No, something else. That was very good. <laughs> that was good. You did fine. I, I'm just, oh boy. All right, Vanessa, your turn. Um, okay, you ready? Three, sure. two, one, go. Uh, Ron, Harry, and Hermione are protecting Quirrellmore because they think that he's on the side of good against Snape. In the meantime, Hagrid wins a dragon's egg and hatches it and wants to be its mummy. Um, and... Ron, Harry, and Hermione are really worried that he's going to get in all sorts of trouble for this. So they arrange for the dragon to go far away to Romania and live with Charlie. And while they're in the middle of this scheme, Draco finds out about it, catches them, is trying to catch them in the process. He gets caught. He gets detention. But um, Harry and Hermione get caught by Fitch. Oh, that was good, though. Okay. I feel like I feel like we were both subpar this week. Hey, hey, let's let the voters decide. Casper, one of the things that I really liked about your story is the fact that the rebellion did not necessarily change the system, but it changed you. And I think that we see a little bit of that in this chapter because the chapter sort of starts and ends the same. You know, there's like no dragon at the beginning of the chapter and there's no dragon at the end of the chapter. But what has changed is that the relationships between the three kids and Hagrid has been clarified. We learn that Hermione is willing to lie and sneak out in order for Hagrid to be safe. We learn that Ron is willing to let his hand nearly fall off in order for Hagrid to be safe. So we learn about their dynamic and, you know, and I think they're learning about their dynamic with Hagrid and how much they love him. Yeah, I'm suddenly seeing how this central act starts to define relationships in all sorts of ways. I'm interested as to what you think about the rebellion that Hagrid is going through. Hagrid is alone, right? He's a social pariah in the wizarding world. Do you think that Hagrid is rebelling against these social structures of the fact that he has been ostracized on so many levels by saying, if you won't let me if you won't let me like be a part of a regular family, then I'm going to create my own family? Or do you think that this is just some sort of pathology that he has to constantly be caring for vulnerable things the way that he cared for Harry instantaneously? Is this a rebellion? So for me, I don't think it is in a way because that isn't the intention of trying to change the structures around him. You know, the reason why he got expelled, as we'll learn later, was for a very similar situation, a a creature which is unusual and dangerous to others that he wants to raise, that he loves. So it doesn't feel like this situation is a distinct one. It feels like it's in a bit of a pattern. And I think the intention of breaking the rules matters. So if you're doing it because you want to change a broader systemic structure, you want to you challenge the norms, you want to change how people think about something, then it feels like rebellion. But if you're breaking the rules because you want to fulfill something for yourself, I'm not sure that's a rebellion. But Casper, I'm wondering... If this is the biggest rebellion that he can make, given how disempowered he is, when you have 
no power. What option do you have to rebel? You have to rebel within your sort of cage. And as Hagrid gets more power, we see him rebelling against these social structures in bigger and bigger ways. When he's in a position of authority as the teacher of care of magical creatures, he creates lesson plans to teach this. So I'm wondering what you think if if maybe given how disempowered he is, we can count it as a rebellion. I love that, Vanessa, because I think you're exactly right. When you know, when you don't have the same kind of access to influence or money, the location of your rebellion is going to be in a different place. And for him, it's literally a domestic rebellion. He's changing the norms in his own home. I hadn't thought about that in that way, but I love that. But also, Casper, I wonder if we can give you more credit for the rebellion that you enacted. Given your incredible lack of power as a student at a posh school, as a student who felt discriminated against for being gay by homophobic teachers, just as a child, you know, children are so disenfranchised. I I think you should maybe give yourself more credit. You took an existing social structure of this bulletin and you wielded it as a tool. Well, credit should go to my mom as well, who on the morning of the deed, I told her what I was going to do. And I said, Mom, shall I do this or is this a bad idea? And she just looked over her shoulder and said, you do whatever you need to do. So I think she knew exactly what was going to happen and also the ramifications of that action. But I think she saw probably that I needed to do this to learn for myself, you know, how structures change and what doesn't work. But there's only one way to learn it, and that's do it yourself. Casper, something else that we're we see this moment of rebellion, or at least how far Hagrid is willing to go. There's this great line where, you know, it's clear that dragons breathe fire, and Hermione, out of just fear for Hagrid, goes, Hagrid, you live in a wooden house. And Hagrid is willing to take this rebellion so far that he's willing to let his house burn down for it. And I just think metaphorically, that is such a powerful image, right? There's the wonderful Audre Lorde essay that questions whether you can dismantle the master's house using his tools. You know, and one possible reading is, no, you have to just burn it to the ground. And I think that Hagrid is willing to burn it to the ground in order to love something. So I read that situation quite differently, which is that in an act of rebellion, at least I have gotten so carried away with the rebellion that I lose sight of some really important fundamentals. And I think you see that a lot with campaigners who don't pay attention to the fact that, hey, they haven't eaten three meals. Or, you know, I've been in situations where we talked about doing things that were really quite dangerous for ourselves and others because we thought it would further the mission uh, in a way that wasn't sensible or brave, but was really just foolish. So I I guess I read it differently. I think Hagrid is, you know, he's not going to be able to look after Norbert if the house burns down, yeah. right? So uh, that that rebellion isn't going to be able to be sustained if he doesn't take care of the fundamentals as well. Self-care, Hagrid, self-care. <laughs> I feel like Hagrid is worthy of a lot of conversation this week, but I know that you, Casper, saw rebellion in a lot of other places with your keen eye. Where else did you see it? Well, they were just popping up all over the place for me. I mean, let's remind ourselves that these children are 11 years old. <laughs> Um, They are coordinating an international smuggling network of illegal contraband dragon babies um, (laughs) negotiating a midnight pickup. Like, these kids are 11, so... Bless their hearts. Bless their hearts. They're being pretty rebellious on that front. But I also think there's this lovely moment when, you know, they're studying for exams at this point, 
And Ron has this moment where he throws down his quill and says, I'll never remember this. And I just thought it was a nice little moment of rebellion against expectations that others might have of him or that he had of himself being now such good friends with Hermione. And it just struck me that that's such a nice little moment of rebellion, of accepting things. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to fulfill this task. I'm rebelling against it and, and I'm done. So that just was a little thing. Yeah. And even if he picks up his quill again, just reminding yourself that you're in control of how seriously you take certain things. Of, I think every once in a while having a moment of like, well, I don't care. This is stupid. And then you sort of go back to it. But those are important moments. Can I point out just a sad Ron moment, which is when Harry, it first occurs to Harry that they can call Charlie Weasley for help. Harry looks at Ron and goes, Charlie. And Ron, without skipping a beat, says, you're losing it too. I'm Ron, remember? And I feel like he just so frequently gets lost in the sea of Weasley boys that he isn't even hurt. It's so sad. It's so sad because Harry hasn't even met Charlie. <laughs> and Ron just thinks that that's possible. The final place I think I want to point out where I really see rebellion is Peeves, the poltergeist. You know, Peeves causes havoc wherever he goes, and all he seems to do is rebel constantly against the rules of Hogwarts. And it made me think that Peeves is sort of like the grain of sand that enters an oyster, and the oyster starts self-protecting itself and adds these layers, and it grows into this beautiful pearl. And that perhaps Dumbledore and the entire Hogwarts system need Peeves to be there and allow him to stay because they challenge Hogwarts. They make it better by pointing out the absurdities and by pointing out the things that aren't working. And you need that feedback in order to improve. So I I suddenly saw Peeves in a different way. Instead of just being this kind of jokey figure, he's actually there to help Hogwarts grow. And I think the students must learn something by watching the fact that Dumbledore lets Peeves stay. Dumbledore allows a lot of sort of institutional rebellions to stay, right? Fred and George Weasley should be expelled just about every day. But Dumbledore allows them to stay. And just the system of the most frequently used punishment is not detention or anything that's actually has physical material repercussions, but it's house points. I think that Hogwarts is a school that institutionalizes a certain amount of rebellion in order to demonstrate for kids that there are moments in which you have to rebel and, you know, these social structures are meant to be rubbed up against. And we will see that when Hogwarts administration rules change and that rebellion is not allowed, what actually happens is a massive rebellion. Right. So there's a sort of tolerance that you need in a system. I, I love that. I hadn't thought about that. Vanessa, I'm excited because you're going to lead us in another round of Havruta. Can you remind us w what it is before we dive in? Yes. Havruta is a Jewish practice that comes out of yeshivas, which are traditional ways that young Jewish scholars study. And the idea is that two people with a book can ask each other questions and learn everything they sort of need to know just in conversation. And so the practice is that the person who begins asks a question and then gives a potential answer answer to the question, and then the other person responds. So, Casper, are you ready for my question? I'm so ready. I'm excited to find out what it is. So, my question is based on an interaction between Hermione and Hagrid. Hermione is trying to get more information out of Hagrid about the spells that are protecting the Sorcerer's Stone. And Hermione says, 
Oh, come on, Hagrid. You might not want to tell us, but you do know. You know everything that goes on around here. And then a couple of sentences later, we read, Hagrid's chest swelled at these last words. Harry and Ron beamed at Hermione. I'm wondering if you think that Hermione is doing something mean to Hagrid. His chest swells. His ego is puffed up by this moment. So he certainly doesn't feel abused in this moment. So my question to you is, do you think that he is? And my potential answer to you is that he is wounded in this moment. He's embarrassed in front of Harry and Ron, who beam at Hermione for how successful this manipulation is. Oh, it's really tough to think that one through because I I definitely don't want to argue that the ends are the only important thing and that, you know, however you get there is justified. Certainly not. But I do think that in this situation, you know, the means are really quite minuscule um, in the fact that this is basic detective work, you know, finding out little bits of information and putting it together to paint a clearer picture. The question I guess I'm asking you in return is that, in learning more about Hagrid, in learning his foibles and his character flaw about, you know, telling people things he shouldn't, which certainly the three children now discover, does that mean that they love him any less? Because I think they love him all the more for it, that they are seeing a fuller picture of who he is and accepting him for who he is, knowing that, you know, he's a little loose-tongued sometimes. I agree with you. Um, I do love that the kids now know this thing about Hagrid and that it doesn't impact the way that they love him, you know, which speaks to not loving someone in spite of their flaws, but also loving them because of their flaws. Something that's interesting is that the last line that Hermione says to Hagrid in this flattery is something that's absolutely true. And she's just reminding Hagrid. She says, we wondered who Dumbledore had trusted enough to help him apart from you. And what she's reminding Hagrid of in that moment is Dumbledore trusts you. And Hagrid takes great pride in that. But while it might be a little bit manipulative to bring that up right in this moment, at the end of the day, you know, Hermione is reminding us that Hagrid is a trustworthy person. I think that's exactly right, Vanessa. I think that Hermione is not telling any untruths here. She is reminding Hagrid of who he is at his core, that he has the right intentions, even if he sometimes makes some bad decisions. Um, and so she doesn't belittle him or insult him or, or paint him to be something that he's not. She's just calling him to higher ground and remind him of who he is when he's at his best. And that's that person is always worthy of trust by Dumbledore. I agree. Casper, it's time for this week's blessings. Um, and I am going to bless Madame Pomfrey. She's going to play a bigger and bigger role in the series as the kids get hurt. And I actually think that just the fact that Madame Pomfrey is such a good healer gives the kids a lot of permission to do brave things. I mean, and she even has this discretion and lets them get away with more dangerous things than they should. You know, she knows that Ron was not bit by a dog, but she just sort of pretends and heals him anyway. And so I think that there's really a genius in her ability to heal. And I think that good caretaking requires a kind of genius. And so I want to bless all of the caretakers out there. There are a lot of people out there who have dedicated their lives to taking care of others. And I want to offer gratitude and a blessing to you. My blessing this week is for Charlie Weasley. 
I just love that he's helping his younger sibling get out of trouble. He, you know, he's he's making a real logistical effort trying to coordinate friends who are flying over. He's rescuing uh, a little animal. But really, he's doing this for Ron. You know, he, he's showing Ron that, hey, you're in a sticky situation. I'm going to help you get out of it. And I think that, you know, I'm the eldest of a family of four. I don't think I've really yet had to help my sisters get out of trouble. But just that fact that, you know, you can rely on each other in those moments of real extreme need. That's something really special. So a blessing for all the older siblings out there who keep an eye out for their little younger ones who may not always be so little anymore. This week, we heard from Bob Starling in Houston, Texas, with his voicemail. So let's hear what Bob has to say. Hi, guys. I just wanted to say thank you for what you're doing. I've really enjoyed listening to your views and thoughts, and I thought I would share some of my own. I was just listening to your episode on Chapter 11, and you were talking about Harry's sudden obsession with Quidditch as seemingly out of nowhere. Uh, Vanessa, I really agree with what you were saying, that it's something fun, and it's really the first thing he's naturally good at, and I'm sure it gives him his first real sense of belonging to the magical world, pretty much since Hagrid knocked on that shack door. However, as I was listening, I was struck with a slightly deeper insight. Uh, It goes back into my own past. My father was forced to move when I was about 13, Uh, but before that, we had always really bonded over painting, literature, art, photography, videography. He was just a very artistic person. And it wasn't until I received word of his death in 2009 that I really looked back at how my life had been impacted by my father. At the time, I was going to college studying theater and creative writing. My life was basically entrenched in the arts that I had shared with him earlier in life. That led me to think about what causes Harry's sudden obsession with Quidditch, and I think it comes in Chapter 9, in the scene between Professor McGonagall and Harry. The very last thing that she says to him is, your father would be proud. He was an excellent Quidditch player himself. And um, up until that point, uh, the only thing Harry really knew about his parents was that they were wizards and they were killed by Lord Voldemort. So this is really the first insight into who his parents were, their personalities and their passions. And I'm sure that subconsciously, at least, that had a tremendous impact on him. Uh, Not only does this natural ability at flying give him a sense of belonging to the wizarding world, but now it also gives him a sense of belonging to his family for the first time in his life. So I think that probably is one of the main reasons that you see him suddenly just throw his entire life into the sport that, like you said, he didn't even know existed a month ago. Um, That was my thought on the subject. Uh, I'm interested to uh, hear your views. Uh, Thank you again. Bye. Thanks, Bob. I love that. I think that's so true and so insightful. And it really adds a whole nother layer to this kind of constant background noise of Quidditch in the, in the books. Um, and it just builds another bridge for Harry to, to his family and his ancestry. Um, so thank you. And I think it's true about why we love a lot of the things that we love. We don't just love things in and of themselves, but we also love them because of the people who love them and the positive associations that we have. So, 
Yes, thank you, Bob. You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, produced by me, Casper Turkile, Vanessa Zoltan, and Ariana Nedelman. Next week, we'll be reading Chapter 15, The Forbidden Forest, through the theme of regret. Please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast and review us. It's the best way that people find us, and we really appreciate it. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and Facebook, where you can continue the conversation. You can usually find our handle at HP Sacred Text. Big thanks to Jen Stark, our social media coordinator. Marwa Alabasi, congrats on the wedding. Heidi Heath, Misty Tolman, Missy Adams, Ethan Bishop, Bob Starling, Liz Kelter, and Becky Morell. Sonia Fishka, Ruby Ross, Dalton Farr, Jessica Tingler, Kevin Bianchi, Dewey Farr, Kelsey Moberg, Emily Wilkes, Tegan Fleiner Etheridge, and Shannon Wright for their voicemails. Our music is by Ivan Pizzo and Nick Boll. Thanks to Charlie and Rebecca Ledley, Lauren Taylor, Shane Bannon and Rufus, the Harvard Communications Office, the Humanist Hub and our wonderful Harry Potter and the Sacred Text Reading Group. We'll see you next week. Does it bother anybody else that Fluffy is being abused? Who's feeding him? Who's taking him on walks? This is animal abuse. Sorry. Three-headed abuse. Yeah. I think that's probably like a house elves. That are walking yeah, Fluffy? They just, they, just, they just apparate into it. <laughs>